Good day and welcome to another really thrilling episode of the Offside Museums podcast. My name is Oke Ndibe and I'm delighted to welcome you on behalf of my co-host Emeka Onyagwa. Today we have a truly special guest, uh, Stephen Kefas. And in the interest of brevity, I'm going to read quickly Stephen Kefas's Twitter handle by way of introduction. Stephen Kefas describes himself as an accidental journalist, human rights defender. He's a founder of Middle, De- Middle Times, Middle Bell Times. Um, he's an ex Kaduna political prisoner for 162 days, and he now lives in exile. In exile, sorry. Um, Stephen Kefas, it's our delight to welcome you to this podcast. Thank you very much. I, it's my pleasure being here. Yes. Let's begin by asking sort of the question that will be on the minds of our listeners. Um, how did you become an accidental journalist and human rights defender? Thank you so much. I, I've heard that question I repeatedly in the past. Um, I read computer science. Um, unfortunately, they said um, necessity is the mother of invention. Um, so delving into journalism or citizen journalism was born out of um, um, necessity. You know, uh, there was a need for it. Um, where I come from, uh, we we were experiencing a massacre, sort of, and um, the conventional mainstream media um, were being muzzled by the authority not to report um, things as they are happening. So for some of us who are from that area, we had only one choice, to either take it up upon ourselves to tell our story or forget about it. So um, some of us started undergoing training on... Uh, the basic training on how to write, how to report uh, issues as they happen. So uh, that was how I. Then, of course, um, if 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 you are really, if you if you truly uh, are practicing real journalism or citizen journalism, um, you can't shy away from defending the rights of people because you get to see human rights being abused every day, and then um, you want to advocate for them. You want to tell their stories. So. The two work hand in hand, actually. But uh, of course, there are a lot of uh, brown envelope journalists today who yes. would not want to talk about the rights of people. Yeah. Could you could you speak more specifically about the area um, of 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 Nigeria uh, you come from, and this area that is under uh, constant attacks by um, terror groups? Okay. Um, Kaduna, Kaduna State, um, Southern Kaduna, Kaduna, to be precise. Southern, Southern Kaduna, Kaduna, to be precise, yeah. yeah. Good. Okay. So you started focusing on these attacks. Um, tell us the means that you use um, uh, for some of this, for drawing attention to these um, terrible human rights abuses. Yeah, um, the social media. Um, in fact, I started on Facebook sometimes around 2014. Um, uh, 
funny enough, I was a banker then <laughs> in 2014. Mm. I was working with mm -hmm. First Bank. Uh, mm -hmm. I was barely 23 then, so as a young banker. Mm. And, uh, mm. So there was no conflict of interest. You know, my manager was always telling me that, hey, people are saying you are becoming too loud on Facebook, so you, you have to tone down. Uh, mm. Eventually, I quit the job in 2015 because uh, mm -hmm. it became obvious that I cannot continue working there while advocating for justice for my people that are constantly under the barrel of the gun. So mm -hmm. I had to quit the job and then the north was no longer conducive for me. I had to relocate to Port Harcourt in River State. I live a, a lot of people didn't know that I live in Port Harcourt from 2015 till I was abducted in 2019, um, hmm. agent of the state. So hmm. I was always writing on Facebook. Sometimes I would travel all the way from Portacot, sneak into communities, get photographs of dead bodies, burnt houses, um, post them on Facebook. Then I was still an amateur. I didn't know how to structure a news report. But as time goes on, I took some training on journalism, and then I began to, I now, I now started using my Twitter handle. I used to, I, that Twitter handle had been since 2009, but I was not really using it. But a friend told me that, hey, Twitter is where you get actual attention of policymakers and some of these political So I went to Twitter, I started a tweeting, and um, it blew up. Like, it went viral. People, people started making reference to my, um, right up. Could you can, okay, we we lost you for about a minute and a half. Wow. Yes. Okay. So okay. So so when you were saying that it went viral, that okay. I think that's the last okay. thing that okay. That yeah, heard. yeah. So yeah. So my post started going viral, and um, some organizations started making reference to my um, post. You know, and um, pictures I took were being used also by organizations crediting me so that was when i knew that yes um we're now getting the attention um we we deserve and actually our activities on the social media actually drew attention the government became more interested even though they were not stopping the killings of course we didn't expect them to stop it but then for the fact that they started hunting some of us so we knew that we were doing the right thing okay so instead of um your your reportage began to draw both domestic and international attention and then the government's response was not to go after uh the terrorists not to go out after the people who were destroying lives and property but to come after some of you who were reporting on these um horrific events that's that's true isn't it yes that's true ironically yeah Yes. So would you say then that the government was always implicated uh, directly or indirectly in these attacks on certain communities in Kaduna? Um, it, it, it is public knowledge that um, the, the, the government, both at the federal and the state level, is complicit. Because how do you explain that since 2015, They've been killings. Communities have been attacked and occupied. Um, you have over a million people displaced, and then not a single terrorist has been arrested, not to talk of prosecuted. I mean, how do you explain that? 
and the mm -hmm. government has the forces and resources and the technology mm -hmm. to identify these people to prosecute them according to the laws of the land but this is not being done and you had a former chief of army staff um lieutenant general Tiwai danjuma saying publicly that there's a collusion between the military and the terrorists so it's not just about i as a civilian alleging this no the facts are there i've carried out investigation which i published where people in the community victims will tell you that hey this is what happened in some instance they even accuse the military of taking part in the attacks in mm -hmm. june last year for instance a community was attacked in kajuru local government area of kaduna state mm -hmm. a certain helicopter white painted helicopter was flying at low level providing cover for the terrorists on the ground i went there with my friend the the caliber of ammunition we recovered from the scene mm. are not the conventional ak-47 ammunition these are high caliber rounds about 30 50 mm mm. Now, these sort of ammunition are not even supposed to be deployed even in war in fact, an Air Force officer told me that those ammunitions are anti-material. You use it against armored vehicles and um, maybe aircraft, not humans. But these were ammunitions deployed against farming communities. Communities that all they have are uh, machetes, sticks, and maybe uh, bows and arrows. So, and let me tell you something that is not out there in the media. The Kaduna State Government came out and said that the helicopter sighted belonged to the Air Force, that the helicopter was there to repel the terrorists. And the question is, when did the Nigerian Air Force began using white helicopter? We all know the Air Force paints how military helicopters are painted all over the world. Now, also, how comes not a single terrorist was injured or killed by the Air Force? Mm -hmm. but the villagers were killed and that that was not the first time um we've had issues of villagers alleging that a certain white helicopter is the same color in niger it happened in niger it happened in somewhere in Bornu. the same white helicopter and the question is who owns the helicopter mm. so that question is, has not been answered so let me ask one more question before um, I let my uh, co-partner come in. The, the implications of what you're saying is that the Nigerian government is engaged not just in acts of criminality, which a lot of governments, a lot of government, of government officials around the world occasionally will double in criminality. This is high crime. This is perhaps the most heinous crime uh, that can be committed when people's lives and property, people who are innocent altogether, people who have not committed crimes, that their lives and property will be uh, put in jeopardy and indeed uh, taken away from them in the most gruesome manner. What you're saying in effect is that the Nigerian government is an active participant, an active encourager, an active player 
in this grand criminality. Let's let's be clear. I want to get you on record. Absolutely. The evidence on ground points to this fact. We've had instances where the communities sometimes arrest these terrorists, hand them over to the security agent, only for them to be released. So how do you explain that? So it, this is not a mere allegation. The evidence, the facts, the handwritings are clear on the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, so whether we like it or not, like T.Y. Danjuma rightly said, that's mm-hmm. a former chief of army staff. That is a collusion. And also, the chief of defense staff, General Loki Irabo, June mm-hmm. last year, mm-hmm. confessed that they have evidences that there are elements in the military working hand in hand with the terrorists. Mm. So how do you, yes, is there, there are publications to that effect. So how mm-hmm. do you explain that? So okay, it, um, it's clear. Yes. Emeka, just yeah. one more question. All right. All right. Uh, um, so I, I just don't want us to lose this thread. You spoke about um, running away to Port Harcourt for several years until your adoption. Can you, I think that's your abduction in 20, uh, 2019, isn't it? Yeah, 2019, yeah. Right. And, and then you were held in detention for a hundred plus, a hundred and sixty something days. Yes, yes. Okay. Can you describe that moment, your abduction? So you were abducted from Portakot and, and moved to Kaduna. Can you describe uh, that um, event? Okay. Um, 8th of May, 2019. Um, like every other day, I went to work. And to tell you how criminal the Nigerian state is, um, 8th of May was on Thursday. Now, on Saturday before that Thursday, I left my house where I was living, only to return back and notice that my, my body spray and my TV set was taken from my room without my door broken. Your room in Port Harcourt? Yes, without my door broken. And I don't share my key. All my spare keys were with me. I don't keep friends because I knew they were after me. So I was a bit discreet. Now, two weeks before that day, a black four-horses vehicle was trailing me hmm. in Port Harcourt. So when the TV disappeared from my room and my body spray, hmm. wow. And the whole neighborhood said, in the last 20 years, there have never been incident of theft around there. So it's a secured place. So I knew something was wrong. So I stopped sleeping in the house. Ooh. So on that Thursday, I was at work at Rumogwa in Portaco. Rumogwa is a popular community in Portaco. And then I got a call from a friend, a very good friend, who is a police officer. Who they also track because they noticed he has been he has been somebody i always talked to for some time so they arrested him i didn't know they've arrested him hmm. and intimidated him and told him that he must call me and speak the language we used to speak for me to come hmm. <laughs> so, yeah yeah so a lot of people were accusing him of betraying me i said no he didn't betray me he was hmm. under the barrel of the gun too 
So he called me, told him where I was, mm-hmm. and he came. Said I should follow them to the police station. He came all the way from Kaduna. From Kaduna. Yes. And the, were these were these uh, DSS officers or police officers? They were plainclothes police officers. Mm-hmm. Plainclothes. Uh, yeah. So I followed them to the police station at Rumogwa. They call it Midiokoro Police Station. It's a divisional headquarters. So when we mm-hmm. got there, they said I'm under arrest. I said, what for? Mm-hmm. Um, they brought a petition that looks like a dictionary. Mm-hmm. They printed all my Facebook posts and Twitter posts from mm-hmm. 2015. They binded it. They said this petition from um, an, a, a legal aide to the governor, Erufai. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, do we have a warrant for this arrest? They said, no, there's no need for that. That's the first mm-hmm. criminality. There's no warrant. They said I should write a statement. I said, well, I'm not going to write anything until I see a lawyer. Mm-hmm. They said, oh, you are proving stubborn. I said, well, you can call it what you want to call it. Now, the plan was to smuggle me to Kaduna the next morning without the media knowing, without anybody knowing. Because when they detained me at Stakot, they gave an instruction that nobody should see me and nobody should talk to me. And they collected my phones. Hmm. So around 11 p.m., I told a police woman who is elderly, I said, Mommy, you have to help me. That's if I'm going to stay alive. Hmm. Take this number. Tell this person, he's my brother, that I've been arrested by the state government. Mm-hmm. She said, I-, I want to put her in trouble. Oh, God, please, please, please. I said, Mommy, you won't understand. Check what they wrote on the board that is my crime. It's not arm robbery. It's not 419. It's not kidnapping. Check it. She saw it. She said, inciting the stubborn. I said, Mommy, is that an offense? Mm-hmm. So she accepted to make the call. Now, that call was my saving grace because the mm. moment she called my brother, before you know it, it was all over the news that I had been abducted. Sarah Reporters uh, was the first to uh, make the publication. Mm-hmm. So when they came, to tell you that they have a sinister motive, they came mm-hmm. around 4 a.m. in the morning on Friday with an unmarked taxi hmm. that I should hop in. Hmm. So when I entered, I think they started going online. They now saw publications that uh, everybody, the whole world is aware. They now said, Stephen, how did the media get to know you have been picked? I said, I'm wow. always writing in the media. So if they've mm-hmm. not seen me write anything in the last 12 hours, then something is wrong. Mm-hmm. So they drove me to a motor park. I said, no, come on. The government had come to arrest me. Why a motor mm-hmm. Why not the airport? They mm-hmm. said there's no logistic for air travel. And that was the time the kidnapping along Kaduna Abuja Road was at its peak in 2019. Mm-hmm. So my fear was we could just get to that dangerous spot and they will arrange for people to shoot at the vehicle and they will say we're attacked. That was my fear. Mm-hmm. So I was just praying that God, please, Help me to get to Kaduna. So we got to Kaduna around 7.45 p.m. Hmm. Now, since the bear was abducted, not even water, not to talk of food, hmm. we got to Kaduna. Oh, so my gosh. Kaduna, they paraded me around the um, police headquarters like a common thief, sometimes handcuffed. And uh, you see all the... And that was when I knew that Nigeria is finished. Because hmm. when you get to a Muslim police senior officer's office, 
he will, he will insult me. Look at you. You people are the ones causing trouble. Then when you get to a Christian senior officer's office, he will talk to you with respect. Hmm. So that was when I knew that the police force is sessionalized. Yes. You cool. know, so, of course, the treatment was so. Um, Muslim police officers will treat you badly. Uh, the Christian police officers will treat you with dignity. And, um, yeah, that's how the journey started. 14 days in police detention without um, arraignment in court or reasonable arraignment. Eventually, they threw me into um, the Kaduna prison where I spent 162 days under horrible, horrible condition. Mm. Yeah. So, Stephen, um, to start with, I mean, I would, I would like to know a little, because you started from Kaduna, so I'm guessing you either went to Amadabella University or you went to, which is around Zaria, or you went to Kaduna Poli. Yeah, Kaduna Poli, yeah. That's my alma mater, yeah. Kaduna I was in, I lived in uh, Kaduna for about nine months. I was in Congo campus, so I know Kaduna a little bit. So, uh, for, for, I would like to know the dynamics you, you, how would you describe the dynamics in Kaduna between Southern Kaduna and what has now become, in effect, if you could give us like a little bit of history in terms of Northern Kaduna and Southern Kaduna, most people don't understand that it didn't always start out that way. And it was essentially man-made to make sure that Muslims are on one side and Christians are on one side. So if you, if you can give us a view on how that happened, a historical view on how that happened and the effects it has today with the current governor. Okay, um, before year 2000, am I audible enough? Yes, yes. Okay, before year 2000, um, I had relatives who live in Kau, Mando, and other part of Kaduna, Kaduna Metropolis. Before year 2000, everybody lives anywhere. Then the Sharia crisis came. Now, after the Sharia crisis, you know, the crisis became Muslim versus Christians. Okay, was this was this um, the institution of Sharia law? Yes, yes. In in some parts of of northern northern, northern Nigeria. Nigeria. Yes, okay, yes, okay. yes. So after that crisis that engulfed the state in year two thousand, um. The, 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 the state was restructured, kind of. The Christians felt they are no longer safe up not the river. So they migrated down. And when I say the Christians, I'm not talking about just the indigents. I'm also talking about other tribes, the Igbos, the Yorubas, the Edos, and every other person that we are not houses and we are not Fulan. So they migrated down across the river. Also, the Muslims who were living down across the river before had to move upward mm. so that division started significantly in the year 2000 but then um i, I think it's all boils down to leadership mm -hmm. the governor makarfi then tried to manage uh, the crisis you know by creating chiefdoms across the state um to give the people the various ethnic nationalities sense of belonging and independence sort of you know so even though yes people have left their land their houses in other part of kaduna moving down that division was created 
but it was properly managed at least until 2011 when we had the post-election crisis now, and the post-election crisis we all know who created it the current guys in power created or instigated that crisis because the election was free and fair a winner was declared so why now um you know instigate people this this violence? crisis you're talking this crisis you're talking about is it the um, um patrick yakoa election good yakoa and good luck jonathan's election 2011. now yakoa is a is a southern christian Yes, it's a Southern Christian. Oh, yes, wow. gets into office because for the first time. Yeah, yes, okay. yes. If yeah. I, he got into office by divine providence, we knew how Nema Sambo was pressured not to accept the position of vice president because he was vacating his office as governor for an infidel. That was impression. So, after the 2011 election results were announced, the general belief in Northern Nigeria was that. If you are a Christian, you voted for the PDP. Yeah. So they started killing and burning and looting. So the 2011 post-election crisis created a new chapter of um, tension in Kaduna State. Because one year, five months after that crisis and Yakoa's emergence as governor, he was killed in a plane crash that there's not been any conclusive mm -hmm. investigation to date. Mm -hmm. One which killed the, um, killed I think, at that point. The, um, yeah. Azazi, Azazi, yes. And, and we, we all knew that Azazi, too, was in the bad book of some top people in government at that time because mm -hmm. he made some mm -hmm. comments that didn't go down well with some um, elites in the country. Mm -hmm. Now, after the post-election crisis of 2011, before that election crisis, there have never been attacks on communities in, in southern Kaduna. Even though we had attacks in Dogonahawa in Plateau State, you remember Plateau, where over mm -hmm. 500 people were killed, and during the mass barriers, the terrorists returned, and the Senate senator was killed. Now, we only used to read on papers that terrorists were attacking communities in Plateau. Mm -hmm. But after the post-election crisis, it shifted to Southern Now, it started in 2011. In Zonkua, on Sunday, three churchgoers were massacred by terrorists. So it continued. It continued. Now, one thing is clear. The, the, the crisis that engulfed the state, the Sharia crisis and the post-election crisis, were ethno-religious crises, where Christians killed Muslims, Muslims killed Christians. Right. But the current happenings are clear cases of terrorism. It's no longer a clash between where mm -hmm. Muslims go to kill Christians. No, 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 no. It's an asymmetric warfare where some terrorists invade the community, kill people, burn houses, and retreat back to wherever they are coming from to plan for the next attack. So don't, they, the okay, don't they do occupation of the land sometimes? Of course, they've been, we've lost count of communities that have been occupied 
by this terrorist. Now, let me share something here that is very important. In 2020, um, the Southern Kaduna People's Union were alleging and telling the world that certain communities have been occupied by the terrorists. And the governor came on air and challenged the public that whoever has proof that any community has been occupied should present it. Now, let me tell you what I and some friends did. Mm -hmm. It's era of technology. So we got a drone. Because he knows that those communities that have been occupied, the terrorists are armed. So the, you dare not go there to confirm whether they are occupied or not. So what we did was flew drone, flew drone over those communities. All right. And the footages were mind blowing. You, you could see communities um, where um, the indigenous people were displaced. You, you could see their houses. You could see their farmland. Then you could see the cattle grazing on their farmland. You could see the guys wielding their um, um, rifles. So hmm. the day we made those footages um, viral or public was the last time the governor ever challenged anyone to hmm. prove that communities are under the occupation. Governor, the, go the governor in question is... Okay. Yes. So, so, so there have been, there've been several communities that, even as we speak now, that the indigenous people can no longer go back there because the terrorists oh. are there and they are armed. Hmm. So, when you when you you now you now do this work, you now you're, you're largely in Southern Kaduna, you're largely you're largely in Kaduna, but I, I believe you also cover parts of Niger as well, um, and maybe. Some other, I don't know if you, you, you don't go into Plitsu, but I believe you do go into Niger. In, in fact, in fact, I, I've, I've, I've done my work extensively to Sokoto, Zamfara, Katsina, mm. Niger, Plitsu. And people ask me, what are you doing this for? I said, I want to know what is really happening because mm. they will come to tell you that Muslims are being killed in Zamfara. Muslims are being killed in Niger. Muslims are being killed in Katsina and Sokoto. That is true. Mm -hmm. But I found out I, one thing. So who is doing the killings in those places? Of, I found out of one Muslims. I, I, okay. I, wanted, I wanted you to. I wanted you to describe that first, but I also want you mm -hmm. to describe how you would compare. Is there a comparison? Is it the same? Because you're already, you're already leading into that. You're already saying what you found yeah. out. But I want yeah. you to compare yeah. and, and, and yeah. give us the landscape. Yeah, let me explain. I established one fact in Zamfara whether in Zamfara, whether in Niger, whether in Sokoto, whether in Katsina. And the Katsina state governor also confirmed to this fact. The fact is, the people doing the killings are Fulani herdsmen. The victims of the killings, 95 to 99% are indigenous Hausa Muslims. Hausa. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm. So the bottom line is the Fulani Muslims are hardly being killed, except when they get caught on crossfire, which is rare. Mm. So you could see that it's more of... But, 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 more, they, but they are doing the killing, you're saying? They are. The, the Katina mm. state governor confirmed it. He said the bandits are Fulanis. 
so it's not mm. just allegation or trying to profile a particular tribe no mm. even erufai has also confirmed it that they are husband he even said he paid them money he traveled to some countries and offered them to money stop. to stop the killings mm. Mm-hmm. And the killings never stopped. Instead, it intensified, meaning they took the money to acquire more mm-hmm. weapons. So, so the bottom line is, I think it's more of a hegemony. You know, the Fulani tribe is trying to impose its dominance over every other part of the country. I think that is one mm-hmm. explanation that um, that makes sense. You know, so when you come to Plateau, Benue. It's the same agenda. It's about the land. They want to graze. The land is fertile. Mm, mm. It has beautiful vegetation. Mm-hmm. They want to graze there. And Benue is saying, no, we have a law, anti-open grazing law. And these guys are saying, no, we mm-hmm. must graze. I mean, a state has has enacted a law, but you guys are still going there to graze. Mm. I mean, you know, they are so untouchable. They are so powerful. Mm. And you have the government in Abuja that is backing them giving them the moral and all manner of support to continue doing this madness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but, as, you, as yeah. you keep speaking to that, there was something you mentioned earlier. You mentioned about the weapons. Um, and you talked about the 50 cal weapons. And as somebody personally who has served in the military, I know even in a place like America, how, rest- how difficult and restrictive to get those kind of weapons. And even if you can the cost of getting them is not is not um is not something at that level it, it's it's expensive mm. even in not america it's that, expensive yeah yeah so not to talk of nigeria um, the expense yeah. of getting those kind of weapons at that kind of level to to be able to perpetrate this kind of violence is not a cheap venture by any stretch of the imagination i don't know how you could describe that even further for us Okay, um, 18th, 18th of December, 2022. I'm sure you heard of the massacre in Southern Kaduna. It went viral. It was all over. It was trending for days. Um, I spoke to the Catholic priest of the parish in the community, and he sent me images of the ammunitions he took himself, not not them say them say, like images he took, both used and unused. Fact. Mm those ammunitions are high like um i mean you, you only get to see it in some kind of sophisticated movies mm. the villagers said according to the villagers they said an armored tank came during mm. the attack but i know it's it's cool it can't be the normal armored armored tank that work majestically i'm sure mm. what they are trying to describe is this gun truck that the military mm. use you know those gun truck you have machine guns mounted on it you mm-hmm. know and that was what was used in that farming community and we also know that a typical herdsman will not sell his cow to buy a weapon mm-hmm. you know how they cherish their cows mm-hmm. yes. they, won't sell, they won't sell it to buy a weapon and even if they would how many can they buy and how many cows can they sell in 2020 i had written an article saying that these guys are in possession of anti-aircraft missiles um weapons 
people said, Stephen, you've come again with your speculation. I said, no, I'm not speculating. I'm telling you what I found out. By 2021, they proved me right by gunning down an Alpha jet. And Ooh. the pilot of that jet happens to be a brother to a friend. <laughs> you know, he had to send emergency message um, to the control and told them that he was ejecting the plane. If he had not Ooh. ejected, he would have died with the crashed plane. I think wow. when they shot Ooh. the jet, he ejected. And in the same climb or in the same country, that guy ought to have been rewarded because from 2 p.m. when the, they gone down that jet till 7 p.m., they were chasing him in the forest. Oh, my gosh. Yes. You know, the military said they rescued him. No, there was no rescue. He, he rescued Ooh. himself before they finally came to help him. So that proved me right that they had all these dangerous weapons. And you've seen videos of them in the forest. You've seen how they brandish and display what they have. So how do they get it? That's the question. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, um, there are speculations. It's Stephen Aida. Did we lose him? Okay, he's back. Yeah. All right. Okay, okay. okay so All there right. are often speculations that a lot of the Fulani who are carrying out these attacks uh, are actually from other uh, West African countries so that they cross the border. Um, have, have your investigations um, touched on that question? Very well, very well. Um, my investigation on this started in the prison. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the prison, they sent me to the prison to punish me. But I went there to study and mm -hmm. I was learning and asking questions. Now, I found out that, yeah, some of these guys are from Mali. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of them are from Mali. Some of them are from Burkina Faso. Some of them are mm -hmm. from Guinea. Mm -hmm. Now, they, they assemble in Nigeria. But then, um, there, 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 there's a cooperation, there's an unholy relationship between the local herdsmen in Nigeria mm -hmm. with the foreigners. Because the foreigners coming in do not understand the geography. Mm -hmm. So they need the local ones to take them around and to show them um, where and where to attack. Mm -hmm. So, And in most cases, we have established, because communities that have been attacked in southern Kaduna, I've also confirmed seeing some herdsmen that they know that have lived with them for 30, 40, 50 years amongst those who came to attack them. Yeah, they've, they've identified some of them. So um, it is true that um, most of them are coming from different parts of West Africa because um, one of them told me in the prison that they were told that... Um, Nigeria belongs to them. Okay, one of, one of the terrorists? One of the Hezman. I don't want to call him a terrorist, but uh, okay. yeah, he was in the prison for yeah, illegal possession of firearms. So, of course, mm -hmm. you might choose to call him a terrorist. But he mm -hmm. told me he was caught with a firearm. So, he said they told them that Nigeria belongs to them. And, and who, who, uh, who told them? Uh, Why well, I didn't ask him who told them, but and that and that and that they now have control of the government. Now, Ooh. now let me 
to your question, who told them? Erufai in 2016, during a Channels TV interview, mm -hmm. where he confessed to paying them compensation, he said, mm -hmm. and I quote, he said he sent delegations mm -hmm. to some West African countries, I think Mali, and Cameroon, and some of these countries. Mm -hmm. I cannot recall all the countries. And this is the message he said, I'm quoting him verbatim, that he should tell they should the, the delegation should tell them, tell the killers that there's a new governor in town who is a Fulani like them. <laughs> you understand? Mm -hmm. So giving them a sense of belonging that hey, one of our own is in charge. Mm -hmm. So to your question, who told them? You can see who told them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's there. The video is there on Channels TV YouTube page of that mm -hmm. interview. Yeah, there's something I want you to speak to, especially when it comes to Erufa. I stayed a little bit in the north, um, and there's something. The first time I went to the north surprised me as the the quantity of non-Muslims, indigenous non-Muslims, Christians, and it, it got me into studying history and understanding just how much, uh, how much in reality, in terms of actual numbers, the indigenous people are who are not Muslims. Now. What, from what we can see and what I can understand is there has been some level of, when you talked about the creation of chiefdoms by Ahmed McAfee, yeah. uh, there has been a continuation after Patrick Yakua, McAfee yeah. goes, Namadi Sambo comes in, Namadi Sambo is given the vice presidency, which <laughs> is, ends up installing Yakua, who ends up winning an election but die, dying not long after. And then Errol Rufai, the current governor, comes in. And from something I can understand, something I do understand is the creation of uh, Emirates, which is very similar to what happens in Plato back in the in the nineties, when I late nineties when I was there with my father, which is part of the genesis of the crisis in terms of the bomb bomb jaws and the the Emirates creation, and then the eventual struggle for land supremacy. So, from what I understand, that there has been creation of the, there has been creation of the Emirates done afterwards, and that creation might have been intended to continue to cause um, uh, problems, tensions, tensions in those communities. Oh, thank you very much. Um, I'm glad you touched on this. Um, I, I first noticed this dangerous um, um, plan in 2019. Um, when the paramount ruler of the Adara people was abducted, you remember the chief that was abducted that came yes. in 2018 October. Um, shortly after his demise, a gazette surfaced, um, dated May 2018, that his chiefdom, like his by the government. It was an executive gazette. That his kingdom had been, could you repeat that, please? Balkanized. Balkanized. Okay. okay. By the government. It was an executive gazette. Dated May 2018. Mm -hmm. now, it was after his demise or his murder that we all found out that the chief had prior knowledge of the gazette and was fighting against it. But, you know, sadly, 
it was it didn't you know people don't understand the power of the media people don't understand that there are certain devilish policies that when you bring it out on the media space and you get people debating and creating conversation around it sometimes they backtrack we've seen it happen in at the federal level where certain policies they want to come up with and but because of the reaction the backlashes like the water the water the ruga and the prison reserve and whatever you now but the chief i don't know you know some of them are not inclined media inclined so he was fighting this battle alone without people knowing i didn't know that there was a gazette dated may 2018 so in 2018 uh, no 2019 february i wrote an article how the kajuru genocide started and in that article i i i stated the chronicles of event that happened in kajuru kajuru is a local government one of the largest local government in kaduna state and the other people are one of the largest tribes in the mm-hmm. state they are found in niger they are found in nasarawa and kaduna state so he was the paramount ruler of the Adara people not the ruler of kajuru as a local government but the ruler of a tribe mm-hmm. you understand now um in that article i said there was a gazette dated may 2018 which we eventually saw now for you to balkanize his chiefdom and create an emirate two things must happen one is either he is dethroned now on what basis are you dethroning him he has not committed any offense mm-hmm. the second option is that he needs to die now since the first option of dethronement is not feasible because the man is a gentleman who had not committed mm-hmm. any offense worthy of dethronement mm-hmm. the option of murder came into play mm. in that article i said people can read and connect the dot and that was um there was a report written by the trends newspaper according to them they believe that that article was the genesis of what led to my abduction because mm. i i exposed things i shouldn't have you know according to them so an emirate was created in kajuru a local government that is 95% predominantly christian mm. why balkanizing the ethnic chiefdom mm. now in the same 2018 the bagi people I, i'm sure you've heard of the bagi people it's one the of people the people in abuja yes, and the yes, popular ethnic nationality in nigeria now mm-hmm. they had their paramount ruler renamed from sabagi sabagi means the chief of bagi people bagi as an ethnic nationality mm-hmm. they had his throne renamed to esu chiku meaning he's a chief over Chiku as a local government, not over the Bagi people. Mm. I wrote another article in 2020-2020, warning the people that this is a deliberate attempt to reduce the power of our chiefs and also make it possible for settlers to eventually emerge as chiefs in these areas. Let me explain, because when you mm-hmm. have um, a king of Enugu, Mm-hmm. instead of a king of the Igbo tribe mm-hmm. the king of the Igbo tribe was there an Igbo man mm-hmm. but the king of Enugu 
might not be an Igbo man because there might be other tribes who have settled in Enugu for 200 years. True. Who are not Igbo. That was the game. So people thought I was just speculating. Because most times they said, I'm, I'm an alarmist. I, I love raising alarm. But then mm-hmm. you see these things and when you play chess, sometimes you understand. Last year, last year, somebody from the chief local government, a banking man, told me that a district head died, a banking district head died in a banking community, and the, the kingmakers deliberated and appointed someone and, rec- and recommended him to the government as usual. That's, that's what is obtainable in the north. The kingmakers recommend to the governor, the governor will now um, approve and um, turban and coronate them. Mm-hmm. Do you know that the governor turned down the names of the indigenous Bajikimusets and a Fulani man was appointed to be the district head of a Bagi community? Mm. So mm. That's, that's not it only. We've had some other places in Kafanchan where um, the chief died and he renamed it instead of calling it um, a stool for the ethnic people is now a stool over a geographical location. Now, what it means is that, of course, you have these Fulanis everywhere. So, in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, one thing about this thing is that they don't just do it to take effect immediately, even though Erufai does its own to take effect immediately, but most of these plans are to take effect in a long time, so people will not really suspect it. So, maybe in 50 years' time, you could have a Fulani man as a chief of my own community, so mm. that has been the case. And then he has created, I think, four emirates. Mm. Um, he created one in my local government. My local government is also uh, about 80% Christian local government. But we now have mm. an emirate in Kagarko. He created one in Kajuru. He created one in Kauru local government, a predominantly Christian local government. And he created one in Newe. So mm. a total of four emirates he has created. And I mean, I can't explain it because from my little knowledge, mm. Emirates were cre- established by Danfodio signifying conquest. When he conquers a particular house or land, um, an Emirate is established. But in the 21st mm-hmm. century, we have a governor who claimed to have studied in Harvard and Oxford, um, mm. creating Emirates mm-hmm. in Kaduna yeah. State. Yeah, one, one last me, question I have before this then is... Um, the ele- elections in Nigeria, elections in Kaduna, I, I don't know if you know of these incidents, and I wanted you to speak about it if you do. I've seen incidents where I remember, I can't remember specifically, so if I'm wrong, kindly let me know. But I, I've seen the incidents where the public is told not to vote for certain people because they are infidels and they cannot be ruling over, uh, they cannot be ruling over uh, uh, Muslim leaders. You know, this... These emirate leaders, essentially, what we're talking about. So I've seen, I've seen posters being put up there. I've seen these things. And we're talking about places where that's the second thing you can also attach and speak on that. The quantity of indigenous Christians in these places, you know, because you said it was in the Danfodio area. Actually, also the British came in and did, but that's a whole different uh, conversation. We're just talking about what is happening in terms of the elections, how these things end up happening. And speaking to the uh, dynamics of Christians, the the quantity of Christians, and in fact, I believe personally in some in, in some places the the Christian population, the quantity 
is understated purposefully. So I don't know if you can speak to that. Even in going by the 2006 census, you will see that um, the Christian is not minority in Kaduna State. Now, um, some days ago, some days ago, uh, a friend wrote an article which I published on Middle Belt Times, my newspaper, about the Zar people of Bauchi. Mm-hmm. The Zar people are the indigenous Christians in Bauchi State, and they are in a very large number. In fact, as, as they, a local government, right? They occupied Tafawa Balewa local government and also. Um, part of Azare local government. Yakubu Dogara yes. is from that place. Now, you see, before now, um, the northern elite deliberately tried to misinform other parts of the country by saying that um, um, the north is one, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, when this killing started to your tent, OE Israel, mm-hmm. the, the ethnic nationalists in northern Nigeria now begin to understand that um, it's no longer business as usual. We are no longer one because these guys are turning their guns on us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it became very clear. Now, talking about election, yes, it's true. We've had um, clerics warning people in, in their sermon that um, mm-hmm. in this coming election, uh, they, they must vote for the MM ticket, the Muslim Muslim ticket, that it's, it's jihad and it's 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 a cause for religion for advancement of religion it is not new maybe because they are beginning to say it publicly and because there's now the social media is popular so the message gets viral so it's sounding strange to other people but for us born and brought up in the north we understand that this thing um, has been there for as long as you could think of when yakowa died i had gone back to Katpoli to do clearance in 2012 and I saw people jubilating on campus. And I asked Nafiu, a, a classmate, I said, Nafiu, what is happening? Why are they jubilating? He said, the infidel governor, Yakoa, has died. Yeah. The Yakoa is Kagoma. And we, we I'm, I'm, I'm Jabba, and we understand. So he's like a brother to me because we mm-hmm. understand their language. So somebody is celebrating that my own brother has died. Mm. And, and he's an infidel. Mm. That day, it occurred to me that um, someday my death could be celebrated too because I'm an infidel. Mm. It's it's bad that um, they've so indoctrinated people. They've poisoned the mind of um, the masses. Mm -hmm. And because these masses in the north are majority, and that's where you have the over 10 million out-of-school children, Mm-hmm. And um, you, you have the poor people who are not learned. So they take whatever comes from these clerics, hook, line, and sinker. And these are the same people mm-hmm. that can go on the street with machetes and begin to cut off the heads of people they believe vote for infidels. Mm. So, so you can see it's, it's dangerous because mm-hmm. the learned ones will not go about doing the killings. I, I hope you know that. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, it's just masses, because these masses so much believe and respect their clerics. So whatever the malam says, it's mm-hmm. law, it's final. Mm-hmm. And that is why a poor schoolgirl, Debra, was mm-hmm. murdered. That is yeah. why with Gideon Akaluka was, was murdered right there in the prison where he ought to be protected mm-hmm. in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Because these clerics are, are like gods, they are like deities. Mm-hmm. So, 
it is a problem. I don't know how we're going to solve it, but um, um, it's, it's like and having it's like having two societies. Absolutely. Light, um, um, you have light and darkness trying to cohabit. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's not possible. And so that that's actually um, you said you don't know how we're going to solve it, and that's sort of the challenge that I wanted to throw your way to say. What is the sentiment uh, that you get from uh, the people among whom you travel in the areas? Uh, their sentiment about con the continued existence of Nigeria as one unit and their sentiment specifically about the elections that are coming up in less than a month now. Well, um... I personally, even though I'm from the Middle Belt, uh, you know, I don't, I no longer tell people that I'm from Northern Nigeria. I tell people that I'm from the Middle Belt because now we now understand that there's a place called the Middle Belt. And even the colonial masters also established that fact that um, mm -hmm. there's an area called the Middle Belt. Now, um, I'm a strong advocate for self-determination and possibly um, disintegration of the entity called Nigeria and I have my reasons because mm -hmm. I have studied intensely and I've come to understand that it is almost impossible mm -hmm. for anybody, anybody, be it Obama or Donald Trump or even the best president in the world mm -hmm. to be able to correct some of these issues in Nigeria. Now, these are problems that are deeply rooted in fact, that are right there in our foundation, our very foundation. They are foundational mm -hmm. problems. Mm -hmm. They are foundational problems, and you cannot solve foundational problems from the top, from the rooftop. You must go to the foundation. And we all know that um, revisiting the foundation is almost impossible. So I tell people that, no, if certain people want to be on their own, you have the Yoruba Nation agitate, agitators, you have the Biafra um, agitators, you have the Middle Belt also now beginning to open their eyes and say, hey, we also want to have our own republic. So I feel that that might be the best solution for us. Mm -hmm. I keep telling people, people said, no, that you are from the North. Why are you advocating for this? I said, no, the problems I have identified are not problems that can be solved through elections. They are beyond elections. Yeah. So that's, mm -hmm. that's my view about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's interesting um, because, of course, during the Nigerian Civil War, the Middle Belt saw itself as part of, as an yeah. integral part of the North. <laughs> yeah. And Danjuma, of course, we know the role that it played. So I think that it's, it's circled back in a very interesting way where um, we're now doing essentially desegregation where people are realizing that perhaps we were never part of this larger unit that we think uh, we used to think that we belong to. Yeah. You know? So do you have any projections at all, any sense of how the elections are going to play out, especially in what you call the middle belt? Yeah. Um, well, an average middle belter would rather cast his vote for a southerner um, than for a northerner, going by the experience in the last eight years. Um, the middle belt has seen nothing but blood, tears, and sorrow. 
So and we understand that at Iku has no problem to offer when it comes to the killings in the middle belt. Because we saw how he have he kicked against Autumn's move to enact the anti grazing, open grazing law. Mm-hmm. So that is a pointer that if he comes in, some of those laws that have been successfully enacted in states like Ekiti, Ondo, and some states in the southeast might be um, repelled or, or, or reversed. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, the feeling in the middle belt, I can tell you this for free that um, they, 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 they would rather vote for a Peter Obi than. Um, vote for any of the other two candidates and they have their reasons and the reasons are are cogent because they have suffered and you mm. could see how they were neglected even some of the elites like Goron who played a key role in the civil war mm. his own community too suffered Kiwai Danjuma Taraba you know there's been massacres there so it's um you know I, I, I don't want to say that um, it's karma or karma catching up with them because human lives are involved but whichever way you want to look at it uh, what goes around comes around mm-hmm. as the, so, the angas people and the jukum and the distance exactly, and the exactly. Yeah. so as for projection well mm. um we all know the ruling party is going to do everything possible to want to temper with the outcome of of, of the polls but um Let's just hope for the best. But the signs are not very good. Yeah, the signs are mm-hmm. not very good. Okay. So let me ask you the last question because I know you've been very kind with your time. Um, and I'm going to sort of ask two unrelated questions but bunch them uh, into one, as it were. So you talked about uh, the, killing, the killings of Muslims going on in parts of the north, even in the really core northern areas of the country. And you attribute it to Fulani um, attackers killing Hausa uh, Muslims. So that's one. So I want to ask you uh, whether you see that having any political implications for the way that the Hausa are going to vote in these elections. Then the last, the other question, which is not related to the first, essentially, is how are you keeping safe? Um, how what you experience like from day to day, and uh, then we'll call it a day. Yeah, um, there's been audio messages of um, Hausa people um, trying to educate their people mm-hmm. that their enemies are not the Igbos or the Yorubas, that their real enemies are the Fulanis who came during the jihad. Uh, I've listened to a couple of those messages that went viral on WhatsApp, you know, Hausa people, one, uh, educating Hausa people, telling them that, look, these people you think are your brothers are the real enemies. They are the ones killing you people. In fact, a particular Hausa woman said, is it the Igbo people that are coming to kill people in Zamfara? She asked a rhetorical hmm. question, you know. And of course, um, the response is no. Who are doing the killings? They are the Fulani. So, somehow it can affect... When you look at the political campaign so far, you could see that things that ordinarily wouldn't have happened are happening. You could see certain presidential candidates going to Kanu and people turning up, including Hausas, Muslims. You could see what happened in Kaduna 
I think the dynamics is changing, right? People, but then the level of awareness is poor because, like I said, the masses that are the majority in the north, you know, in northern Nigeria, they've so weaponized poverty. Poverty is a weapon in the hands of the political elite. So they have to keep these guys poor so that they can manipulate them. When you empower these guys and educate them, they become smart. You can no longer tell them that, hey, vote for this guy because he's a Muslim. No, they won't do that because they're educated. So, of course, uh, that's a topic for another day. And then how do I keep safe? Well, God has been faithful. Um, I, I believe that since I didn't die in prison, even mm. though I was ill, you know, I was exposed to certain health condition in the prison, mm. I, I believe that um, for the fact that I escaped all those um, ordeals, uh, maybe God has a better plan for me. I'm fine. I left Nigeria last year, July, mm-hmm. and um, it has not been easy living in exile, you know, where you don't know nobody, you don't do a job, you don't do anything. So, mm-hmm. But God has been faithful, and um, we've not stopped advocating for justice and equal rights in Nigeria. Thank you very, very much, Stephen Kepas. This has been a very stimulating and a very enlightening conversation with you. Um, your insights are really cogent, um, and we hope that the work that you do will continue to bear fruit and will move uh, Nigeria toward a justice and toward um, a nation where laws and the constitution particularly are observed and obeyed. Thank you very much for being our guest. It's been such a delight to hear from you. Emeka, your last Thank you. Thank you very much, Stephen, for coming on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your flexibility as well. So um, thank you very much. We look forward to having you on again in future. So sure. please, anytime, anytime. And do keep safe. Yes. Yeah, I will. I will. Thank you. All right, then. Take care. God bless.